to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. Reactive dog guardians. If your dog lunges, barks, generally loses it. The dogs, people, squirrels, skateboards, we have a free mini course just for you. Head over to agoodfeelingdogtraining.com, click free resource to get started on your reactive dog training journey today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I have a special guest with me. You may remember her from a previous episode where we talked about behavior meds. Today, we're going to talk about spay and neuter, castration, wherever you live, whatever term you use. But we're going to give you the information. We're going to give you the research. We're going to help you make an informed decision about spaying and neutering your pet. But um, before we do that, Sophie, do you want to go ahead and just introduce yourself for everyone? Hi again, everyone. Thanks for listening. Um, My name's Sophie White. I'm a veterinary surgeon and a veterinary behaviourist in the UK. Um, So I have worked in general practice for uh, eight or nine years now. Um, So lots of advice on neutering, lots of neutering different pets. Um, But I now focus on um, clinical behaviour and see um, predominantly dogs with behaviour concerns. Um, So this ties everything together quite nicely because we're going to have a chat about the physical aspects and the behavioural aspects. Um, I've also spent some time in charity and rehoming. So I think we'll touch on sort of those population control and sort of social responsibility aspects as well. So I think it's a really nice topic to cover. And it's, yeah. it's, it's not an easy one. There aren't any super straightforward answers, but we'll try and give you as much random information as we can. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I reached out to you about having this conversation because of the many perspectives perspectives you can bring to the table, you know, because I think that, I think that if you don't see behavior and understand behavior, I think that you can maybe interpret some of the research maybe a little bit differently. So I'm so excited to get your take on this. Okay. So for everyone listening, if you have a dog who is not currently spayed or neutered, and you are trying to make a decision about when that should happen, We're going to try and give you some information so that you can, you know, look at your individual dog and their breed and maybe decide what best as far as timing is concerned. So, um, Sophie, do you want to kind of touch on that? Like as far as age range is concerned, I know that it's been standard practice, like puppy puppies, eight week old puppies spaying and neutering, but we're learning a lot more about how maybe it's better if we wait. Yeah. So I think probably before we get going, it's worth mentioning that The reason you get lots of different advice on this subject is because there is lots of different information and the research is ever growing, but most research papers are written from a certain perspective. So they look at the impact of neutering on X and that can give you quite different information than maybe a study that was focused on something else. So, you know, if we're looking at the effect of neutering on urine ring continence, which is a really common one, which we don't worry about that much anymore, but that was historically a really big concern. And those papers are going to tell you something very different to whether you're doing a study based on aggression or trainability in dogs when you look at neutering. So that's often why you get lots of different views, because essentially different stakeholders 
have different focuses. Everyone, you know, all your professionals that you're getting advice from, um, they're worried about animal welfare. You know, that is what they're giving you advice on, but often from just a subsect and, you know, from a specific area. And unfortunately, there isn't really one answer that keeps everybody happy. So when we look at age of neutering, um, paediatric or neonatal neutering, so baby, baby neutering, never really was a big thing in the UK. I know it um, was and probably still is quite big in the US. Um, it was a fleeting trend over here. Um, we do do our cats very young, but that's a whole different kettle of fish because they are popping babies out sort of by the time you've blinked. Um, so, <laughs> and they're outside and there's always other factors. So they're kind of a different ball game. But with our dogs, generally speaking, in the UK, we wouldn't spay or castrate under six months unless there was a particular reason. Um, occasionally, maybe our small breed males who are relatively mature, sort of five months. Some people might do them, but generally speaking, six months and above. Um, but six months, you, you generally found that some of your younger vets would probably say six months, get them done sorted whereas some of the older views on neutering were things such as letting a bitch have a season first there's actually no reason to do that there's no reason not to particularly but you don't need to so six months the idea of that was that you know most of the dogs are not babies anymore they're at least growing up um, and you'll catch most of them before their first season so that was where that age roughly came from. When we think about letting them have a season first, one problem is that um, there is the fact that they might get pregnant and we need to think about whether it's appropriate for that dog to get pregnant, particularly at such a young age. You know, is their environment and are there, are there guardians able to ensure they don't get pregnant? Do they live with an entire male? That's just not gonna, it's gonna be completely impractical. Um, and also we do need to think about if we put it off, is it ever gonna happen? You know, some people just need to get things done and get it out of the way. If they go away and say, we say come back in another six months, that turns into two years and it just never happens. So there's lots of reasons why six months is often suggested. Um, but that isn't always gonna be the right age for every dog. And there's growing evidence to suggest that different breeds probably should be neutered at different points. Um, and I guess that makes sense because we know that they mature at different rates. We know they have different susceptibilities in terms of their health. So that's, that seems quite sensible, but it's working out where your breed falls. Yeah, for sure. And I think that like, you know, everyone listening, you do have to look at like, you know, some of the conveniences of your life, right? Like it's not very convenient for a lot of people to have a bitch in season. It's doable, yeah. right? Like it's absolutely doable. If you have an intact dog at home, maybe six months is better, right? So I think that there are, are a lot of considerations for just like convenience on the human end. But I think that once we, you know, kind of dive a little bit more into like the specific breed data, I think that that's when there's more of those like caveats, right? Like, do you have this, this, or this breed Then maybe six older than six months is maybe more practical. Well, not more practical, but in the dog's physical 
best interest. Yeah, and it's it's always going to be hard because if you spay or when you castrate at the wrong time, so to speak, that doesn't mean anything bad is going to happen to your dog. Your dog might be absolutely fine. You are just potentially increasing risks of certain things. Um, so there was a really nice study, which is probably the most useful study um, in terms of timings. And the reason it's particularly useful is essentially that was its goal. Its goal was working out what advice do we give people about when to neuter their dogs. So they focused predominantly on neoplasia, so certain types of cancers, um, because they did seem to be some suggestion that with certain breeds, neutering seemed to increase the risk of some cancers, which is a relatively new idea. Like, I don't think anyone really thought about that until the last probably five years or so. And the other area it tends to have a big impact on is orthopedic disease. So cruciate ligaments, um, you know, dodgy stifles, hips, those sort of aspects. And that is something that's been coming up more. Um, and actually there's a really interesting lady, I've forgotten her first name, her surname is Zinc, Dr. Zinc. Yeah. Yes, who, she does quite a lot of stuff on working breeds and discussion around the fact that um, for some of those dogs that have an increased risk of cruciate ligament disease, such as our Labradors, they're a good example, let's use them. If you neuter them before they finished growing skeletally, you actually end up making some of their bone length, uh, their long bones, so like their thigh bone and things, actually ends up longer than if you waited. So mm. you sort of end up like a double negative and you end up actually being a little bit taller. Um, and that alters the angle in the knee and that affects the pressure on the ligament. So that was kind of some of the first papers that started coming out that really sort of said, okay, maybe we should not neuter straight away. Maybe we should wait till they finish growing naturally. Um, and I say this summary article, it does have its flaws as basically all papers do. Um, and I guess one of the main criticisms of it probably is that the, the data number, the, the, the number of dogs in it is not that high. So there's a couple of hundred generally for some of the breeds and less for others but it is definitely the best that we currently have. Right. So, so can you define for everyone what it would mean for the dog to fully grow and develop before neutering? Yeah. So that's really variable on, on breed. So generally when we think about maturity, um, sexual maturity is generally pretty easy. Certainly in the girls, obviously it's really easy to identify with the boys. It's kind of, you know, that teenage phase with our small breeds, about six months you don't get many dogs that will be sexually mature before six months maybe some of your little teeny chihuahuas um but whereas we look at maybe like our great danes they're probably not going to be having their first season until they're well over a year old so that's kind of sexual maturity we also know that social maturity so when they're kind of adults from sort of a behavior and social interaction point of view is much older but again it's younger for small breeds and generally later for big breeds. And in between that, we tend to have skeletal maturity. So essentially, when you've finished growing, and again, for your little tiny things, like your little teeny chihuahuas, they're probably as big as they're going to be by six months. Right. Um, right. Your Labradors and things, probably around 12 months. You might be looking at 18 months for some of your bigger breeds. But 
generally everyone's going to finish growing by the time they're 18 to 24 months um but it's there's there's a lot of change in your bone development and things during that time and that's why I think the the age of neutering seems to have such an impact on orthopedic disease so on kind of joint and bone disease right yeah and I think that the larger breeds are just really plagued with that right because I think that generally speaking most dog guardians are following the six-month age range and that doesn't take into account the size and breed of the dog right so Yeah. And it's like, you know, I know a lot of you listening have had to repair knees and elbows and your dogs, and that gets very expensive and very cumbersome for everyone. Right. Because you got to keep the dog quiet for weeks and weeks on end. And I think that, you know, for me as like a dog guardian, um, am staffs are prone to like, you know, some shoulders, some hip stuff. And I was just overly cautious because I didn't Mm want to run any risk of like, increasing the risk of him having some sort of like skeletal stuff going on because him as an individual oh my god keeping him quiet for weeks on end (laughs) would not be an easy thing yeah so yeah there's so many issues you know that we think if we can reduce the risk a bit we might as well but that raises a good point as well is that everyone's got different priorities like for some people their main priority is that they don't want their bitch bleeding on their white carpet it's just like everywhere's carpeted. It's going to be completely impractical. That's fine. Like if that, that's that's okay. Like as long as there's no obvious reason why spaying is a really bad idea, you know, as long as they've not got something that massively increases their risk of sort of general anaesthetic complications. I think if they were super super nervous, you would question whether it's the right time. But you know, everyone's got different priorities and that's okay. And that's why everyone's going to pick different bits out of these, you know, these studies. Um, And I guess maybe talking about the nervous side of things, it's a really interesting one. So there is no conclusive data that says that neutering will make a dog more nervous. But I do think we need to think about it from kind of a logical point of view that a lot of our nervous dogs find going to the vets difficult. and going to the vets being, you know, intensely handled, even, you know, even if your vet staff are amazing, it's still not going to be the most enjoyable day of their lives. They're having something unpleasant happen in a weird place. For some dogs, even if they weren't actually neutered, even if they just knocked them out and woke them up again, that would probably still really knock their behaviour because it's a stressful event. Um, so... I think we also need to consider worst case scenario is, you know, if we've got a nervous dog with a bite history and we think, okay, well, if we don't neuter them, well, currently like nothing is immediately gonna happen. They're not gonna immediately have a problem, but maybe later in life they'll have increased risk of like pyometra, so womb infection, et cetera. So we do want to get them spayed, but we don't need to get it done right now. Whereas if we neutered them and they were worse, well, we've got a dog we already know bites and that, you know, those risks are much higher. So I think it's sometimes thinking what's the worst case scenario. And it's, I think it's rare that we would ever say you should never neuter this dog. But I think it is quite often that I might say to clients, let's put that on the back burner for now. Let's get a good grip of what's going on behaviorally. Let's get them in a better position where they're more resilient. They can sort of take that stress better. 
And then we can kind of cross that bridge again later once we've got a bit more behavioral stability. Yeah. And that's something that like, you know, obviously I'm not a vet and I encourage my clients to like touch base with their vet so we can work as a team. But, you know, if I'm seeing a dog in like their adolescence, the six to like 12 month age range, and the dog is already right. Like you're saying has a bite history has shown that they could be pushed to bite. I'm like, let's not add an, another variable where they're going in for a major surgery and we're robbing them of a lot of their normal hormones. Right. Because I don't think that that's going to make it any better. So I think that that's a good bridge into the, like, um, neutering a dog could decrease aggression. So there's no conclusive data to that point. Right. That like de- t- tell us more about that. So the only reason that the neutering would reduce aggression is if the aggression is related to some sexual activity or hormones. So yes, you probably would see reduced aggression if you have an entire male who is only aggressive to other male dogs, or they're only aggressive when the bitch in the house is in season. Then that would probably make sense. Maybe if we've got a a bitch who is only aggressive when she's got puppies, like that makes sense. But that is not the majority of our aggression cases, (laughs) you know, so we have to think that logically there is there are very few cases when neutering is likely to actually improve behavior. It does not improve, uh, improve, it does not alter energy levels. So it's not going to calm your dog down. That is not going to happen. <laughs> Sorry. Spoiler alert, ladies, gentlemen, everyone. It's not going to de- it's not going to be a magic cure. You can't just neuter the dog and then they're going to be fine. That's not the way that it works. I mean, growing up generally does that. Like I think people say that, oh, they're much calmer after they're neutered. Yeah, but that's probably just because they grew up. You know, they stopped being a silly puppy. Um, but neutering is not going to make them any calmer. There's also been some studies about trainability, like about the fact that, you know, your dogs are easier to train if they're neutered. Again, generally speaking, not true. Interestingly, in the study, they did find two breeds. I can't remember what they were now. I want to say one was like a corgi. They were two quite obscure breeds. Shih Tzu and Boston Terrier, maybe? Yeah, where the males, when they were neutered, were more trainable. Oh, but, no, it was, it was sheepdogs, Shetland sheepdogs. Yeah, so like there's two bizarre breeds that they appeared to be more trainable when they were neutered. But everyone else, it made no difference whether they were neutered or not. Um, I do think that does come down to your environment a little bit as well. If you've got an entire male and you are surrounded by entire bitches in your area, he's probably going to run off quite a lot. So, so that's not really a training issue per se. That is just biology sort of trumping traits. Um, so I think you do need to consider that. And I think you would be increasing your chances of success with your recall if he was neutered. Um, but it's not going to necessarily make them inherently more trainable, more focused on you, anything like that. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's just important because I think that that's a, you know, a myth that, I mean, I feel like my entire lifetime has always been, if the dog is being aggressive, you got to get them neutered right away. Right. And I just, I want to make sure that a lot of you listening, I know a lot of you have reactive dogs, right. And I think that this 
behavior element to like the spay and neuter, I think is especially relevant for you and your dogs, right? So there's a lot to consider. And like Sophie said, there's no right or wrong answer, but I think that if you are in a situation where you can prevent pregnancy and you can delay the spay or neuter a little bit, I do think that there is a lot of reason to do that so that hopefully we can sort out some of the emotions fueling their behavior before we take the testosterone or estrogen out of the picture. Yeah, I mean, I there's no there's no rush. I think that's the thing is, as long as you can control their environment, um, there's no rush. Like, there's no breed that is better if they're neutered earlier. There are some breeds that are better if they're neutered later, um, but no one is better if they're neutered earlier. Um, and say so the key thing is, can you avoid pregnancy? Um, and say make sure you know you're not sur- and surrounded by entire bitches because you know you might not have the puppies to rear, but you've got to take responsibility for your boys as well. But as long as we can avoid that, there's no rush. I don't know if neutering your reactive dog is going to make them worse, but it's not going to make them better. So say, unless you have some really specific aggression, um, I say probably the most common one would be male, male aggression, but that's still, they might be worse with other male dogs, but if they're also showing aggression towards female dogs or to people then you're not going to solve your problem by neutering them right like it's very specific the context of the aggressive behavior right around other intact males or intact females right like that would be the one like specific isolated incident and I'll be honest I've never seen that in my career that it was only that (laughs) I have um I've had dealings with one bitch who um actually when I was in practice and had been to see a, a clinical behaviorist who we did neuter, she was very nervous, but we did neuter her because her behavior was much worse when she was in season. She didn't deal with the hormones very well. Um, and actually that makes sense. You know, yes, we know there's problems, but they're getting professional support. They're working through those issues. And we know that a big trigger for her is every time she comes into season and she was like six months clockwork, Every time she came into season, she was a nightmare. So we might as well remove that stress from her life. But that is unusual. That is by no means the norm. Generally speaking, you won't see any benefit from neutering. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's touch just a little bit on the cancer. So I know that what it was Labrador retrievers, golden retrievers, and German shepherds were most of the cancer researchers as it pertains to spay and neuter is concerned, right? Yeah, and it's a really interesting one. And it does tend to be the breeds who are probably already more prone to getting neoplasias and cancers anyway. But those are the ones that we really want to minimize risk for because if they've already got an increased risk just by being that breed, we wanna do what we can to minimize it. And again, that's the same for our dogs that we know are more likely to have orthopedic disease. Yes being a Labrador you're probably going to have something wrong with your musculoskeletal system but we might as well do what we can to minimize it so in the study they produced a really nice um set of guidelines that maybe maybe we could put a link in the show notes or something yeah we'll link all this research in the show notes you guys so you can dive into it on your own too it looks at quite a good range of dog breeds it's obviously it's not going to have everybody in there and of course then you need to think about what happens when you're a crossbreed etc etc but it gives really nice options of either it suggests to leave the dogs intact, male and female, and you know which one, 
whether it's basically completely owner choice, doesn't matter, do we want. Um, neuter beyond six months, neuter beyond 11 months, or neuter beyond 23 months. And that was considering um, the cancer side of things and the orthopedic side of things. So the, interestingly, the only dogs that they suggested were left intact were male Doberman Pinchers and female Golden Retrievers. Um, they suggested that they would be better not neutered at all at any point. Um, whereas actually the vast majority of the other dogs was down to choice. Um, when we look at the boys, um, neutering beyond six months um, was suggested for Cocker Spaniels, Corgis, uh, Labradors. Interestingly, Labradors wasn't as old as I thought it was going to be. And that's why, again, the research is important because sometimes there's some breeds where you think, oh, that's not, you know, not what I thought. We can't always just generalize. It's so um, great. Like, I definitely would have thought older for the Labrador too. Yeah. And for the girls, um, beyond six months for Australian cattle dogs, um, beyond six months for Rottweilers and St. Bernard's. So, again, two big breeds, which actually they're saying beyond six months is fine. Um, and when we look at beyond 11 months, that's actually some of our smaller breeds, interestingly. So um, male Beagles, um, male Border Collies, male Boston Terriers, male Golden Retrievers, miniature Poodles and male Rottweilers. Um, and for the girls, we had beyond 11 months for Border Collies, Cocker Spaniels, um, Springer Spaniels, and Labradors. So they want the Labrador girls to be neutered later than the Labrador boys. And then when we look at beyond 23 months, this actually again doesn't necessarily fall into the groups of dogs that you think of, like when we talked about being skeletally mature and things. So for the boys, we've got Bernese Mountain Dogs, uh, Boxers, German Shepherds, Irish Wolfhounds, and Standard Poodles. But for the girls... For the girls, we've got uh, Boxers, Cocker Spaniels, Doberman Pinchers, German Shepherds. Um, and then finally, we've got Shetland Sheepdogs and Shih Tzus. So really, really mixed bag. And what I thought was really interesting was both male and female Great Danes was down to choice. Do what you want. <laughs> absolutely crazy right like I never would have anticipated that so for everyone there were 35 total breed breeds and I feel like it covers like a pretty wide spectrum of like large and and toy size and medium size breeds so we'll include that in the show notes so that you all can find it really easily but yeah really interesting like and especially the male Labrador uh let's see here okay so let's talk just a little bit more about oh do you want to touch on like this the pseudo pregnancies a little bit yeah, so um, something that's being discussed more and more at the moment, and certainly within um, the UK kind of behaviour and veterinary circles, actually, it's something that's started to really pop up, is discussion around pseudo pregnancies, so phantom pregnancies, um, and timing of neuter and behaviour. So um, when a bitch has a season, um, she will always go, and this is something I don't think we really appreciated, but she'll always go through a phantom pregnancy at some level. So essentially that's like the gap where if they'd been impregnated, they'd be pregnant. But if they're not mated, 
their body does like a really similar pattern. So their body goes through quite a lot of similar changes as if they had been mated and got pregnant. So that kind of fills the gap. And then they go into a little quiet period and then they start another season. Um, but the reason that's really important is because of the timing of neuter. So it was always known um, that, or certainly in the UK, I say it's always known, I presume it's the same in the US, but that you, you don't want to neuter a bitch when she's in a phantom pregnancy. Not a good idea. Because they seem to basically get stuck um, and their phantom can then just persist after neutering. Um, and actually, we, we, it's always sort of been accepted that you could, if you really needed to, you could spay a bitch when she's in season and very, very soon afterwards. There's lots of reasons people don't like doing that because there is increased surgical risk. But if you really had to, you could. But what you shouldn't do is then spay a bitch a month, six weeks after her season, because she's very, very likely to have that hormonal change of pseudo-pregnancy. So we used to, or lots of people do still say, let's wait three months. So end of the season, three months, let's neuter. There's growing discussion, and I don't think this is based on any research. I think this is based on expert opinion at the moment, but there's growing chat that we should probably be waiting four months. That can be hard because some bitches have a very quick cycle. They're meant to be six to nine months. Some of them don't follow that and go much quicker. Um, so obviously they probably aren't quite the same, but the, the standard cycle, they're suggesting that 16 weeks would be more sensible because you should then be coming out of that phantom pregnancy. Because the, um, the physical changes that you see, so um, enlargement of the teats and vulva, milk production, or sometimes not even milk, but fluid from the teats when they're squeezed, those are the very last signs you see. So you have hormonal change, you then have behavioral change. So you might see things like nesting behavior, um, licking their abdomen a lot. Um, you might see um, increases in things like resource guarding, um, essentially like they would if they had puppies. They're gonna start sort of stashing stuff away, acting a bit weird, um, and then you get your physical change. So if when we go to neuter a dog, we only look and say, there's no milk, I can neuter it, that, that might not be true. If we don't ask the owner, because they might not know that's what it is, but we won't know if they have any behavioral signs. And actually we could still be having quite a lot of dogs who have very subtle change that's not been identified. So there has been some chat recently and something that I've certainly, now I started thinking about it, I feel like I'm seeing lots of dogs where it might apply. The discussion that essentially if a bitch has been neutered and their behavior has got worse, we should be considering whether they're in a phantom pregnancy. And if they are, we can use medication. So we can use, in the UK, it's called Galastop. Um, Cabergolide is the is drug name, but it's basically a hormone. Um, we've got to be very, humans got to be very female. Humans need to be very careful handling it. But it's a hormone that essentially will knock them out of their pseudo-pregnancy. Um, and they won't be able to go back into it because their ovaries and the hormones they need to go back in won't be there. So once they're out, they should be out. But there's actually probably quite a few bitches who the reason they're not getting any better despite what you do is because they're hormonally feeling a bit crazy <laughs> you know they've got crazy pmt and they can't really focus on what's going on um so and we could be helping them we could be getting them out of that by using medication and of course those changes happen 
with lots of entire dogs as well. So that's the same. You know, if your bitch had a season and then she's being really weird, she's, you know, she may well be having a phantom. But it's particularly important when they're neutered because it won't, many of them won't finish. They go into a chronic phantom pregnancy that can last a really long time if, I guess, in theory, ever. Oh my God, right. And the, the emotional and physical strain to the animal, right? Wow. That is absolutely fascinating. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about timelines here. So like if we're talking about like neutering, I mean, spaying a female, like before six months, then we just avoid that altogether. So hopefully they wouldn't go into any pseudo pregnancies, right? Yeah. In the, in there is a small risk because bitches, some bitches have silent seasons and that seems to be more common for the first couple. sort of as they're kind of revving up. So in theory, if a owner missed the first season, you could potentially spay in a pseudo. But it does appear that phantom pregnancies and pseudo pregnancies typically get worse as time goes on. Once you've got a bitch who has a phantom, they're probably going to have a phantom pretty much every season. And they do tend to get worse over time. So I think your risks of, of that sort of age are really, really minimal. So yeah, I would agree. I think probably if we say, right, let's neuter at six months, you're probably just missing out that whole issue because they've probably never had a season. Um, yeah. And that's something that I've had, like clients have had challenges with, right. Is because for, you know, whatever reason, because of their breed or size or whatever, they're delaying the spay and then trying to get the timing of the dog has gone through a heat cycle. We are past then actually doing the spay, right? Like that is something to consider, right? And like, obviously I know everyone who is listening wants to do the best that they can for their dogs, but you're allowed to take in your convenience and your timeline too, right? Like, yeah, exactly. You know, it's got to work for everybody. And this isn't always something that's avoidable. So I'm, I was talking to a client today, actually, and we're predominantly focusing on the other dog. Well, it appeared to be the other dog that was the problem. However, it's become more apparent it's a two-way street. I think it's six of one, half a dozen of the other with the two dogs that are disagreeing in the home. Um, but the bitch, they really struggled with getting her spayed because she basically just kept coming into season pretty much whenever she fancied all the time. And then when they were booked, we had the big COVID lockdown and we the vets weren't doing any non-emergency procedures. So then she had some more phantoms and they ended up compromising and neutering her closer towards the closer to her season than they would have done ideally, because otherwise she was just going to come in again. And one of the things we've had a little chat about is actually, you know, have things got worse since then? They have a bit, but there's also other reasons they might have got worse. But I think one of the things we'll probably discuss with, with their primary care vet is, would you be happy to try her on this medication? And let's just see. And um, it can make the dogs feel a bit grotty, but it's sort of maximum two weeks. And if you've got a serious issue, it might not necessarily solve it, but it might give you a big improvement that you weren't going to get without it. Right. Yeah. So I think that that's really amazing information. I had no idea about that. I mean, it makes a lot of logical sense when I hear you explain that, but yeah, I think that the female dogs, that's really important. So, um, I want to talk just a little bit about male dogs and mounting. Is that the one thing we know will decrease? No, yeah, we don't. Okay. <laughs> so the only thing that we've really got good evidence for definitely having a good chance of decreasing is urine marking. So male dogs that just pee on everything. Um, and, you know, it's not a toilet training issue. It's not stress. They just like weeing on everything. Um, 
there's about a 60% chance that that will significantly reduce after castration. So that's probably your best bet, really. And most people, when they have a dog like that, are pretty desperate to just stop having everything everything in their life covered in wee. So neutering is probably a good idea. Um, when we think about mounting, I think what we need to think about is, is it actually a sexual behaviour? You know, are they only mounting bitches that are in season? Or actually, are they mounting lots of other stuff? Because humping and mounting behaviours are not only sexual. Um, you know, some dogs do them when they're frustrated. Um, that's a really common one. Um, some dogs just do them for attention because lots of owners are embarrassed. And as soon as they start humping something, that owner suddenly like appear. Um, so it's quite a good way to get their owner to do something. The same kind of applies for other dogs. I think sometimes when you see dogs humping in play, it appears to be probably a combination of frustration and a, kind of a tactic where they're a bit like, I don't really like how this is going. If I hump you, you're probably gonna chase me or you're gonna spin around or you're gonna do something. And I think some dogs certainly learn to use it in that context of just, it's a tactic to get the, uh, get the target to change their behavior and respond. Um, but frustration is a really common one as well. Um, and I think one that people don't think about. Um, and that, you know, there may be aspects that improve when they're neutered because quite often humping gets worse during adolescence, you know, teenage hormones, and they sort of get that urge. And I think also male dogs seem to sometimes have a bit of confusion during adolescence about arousal. So like they'll get excited about something and they'll get an erection or they'll be interested in a female dog and then they'll get like really worked up. It's kind of like everything just merges into one. Um, so neutering might help. Um, and I certainly have had some cases where I've dealt with the dog after they've been neutered and the owners say the humping is much better. We only now see it in a few contexts, but it's unlikely to completely go away. Um, and I think that's the expectation that we really need to have because it's very frustrating if you're neutering your dog because you want them to stop humping or you want them to stop growling at the children. It's not, it's not that straightforward and you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. And I think yeah. that that just brings up the larger concept of we have to understand what the function of the behavior is, right? And a lot of times the function of mounting and humping is not sexual by nature, right? The function is much more um, the environment, the, the, the surge of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, emotions that they're experiencing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. And I think that, you know, I think that <sighs> Waylon was a terrible humper when he was intact. God, he would latch onto my leg and he would not stop. And like, obviously this is just our experience, but after he was neutered, it really only happens if he's like really excited. It's not nearly yeah. the frequency and intensity that it once was. And I tell you what, a lot of the beds around the house, the dog beds have gotten a break since then too. So yeah. <laughs> I, I have like, I have neutered a couple of little terriers at sort of five months because their owners are like, they seriously are like, they're obsessed. And some of them will actually get to the point of ejaculation as well. Like they're properly just getting it off with anything um and like on the furniture and I remember one of my clients was mortified because she was like he keeps doing it on the children and he's like oh the children and I'm like okay we'll just new to him don't worry it's okay it will almost certainly make it better you might still have some work to do and she was like that's fine I just it, she was like it's just weird, really weird and I needed to stop <laughs> I was like 
that's okay we can deal with that so yeah there are going to be some occasions where yes it's going to help but as you say I think it's just still preparing people in those cases that it's probably not going to be the be all and end all because we know that behavior becomes learned and the more they practice it and of course particularly when it is sexual in nature it's often self-reinforcing then probably still going to do it I mean, lots of us know neutered males who were neutered when they were little, but they'll still give it a good go with a female when they're in season. So once you've done it and you've practiced it, it's probably not going to completely go away just by neutering. Yeah. Okay. So I want to kind of wrap it up a little bit. Can you give the listeners a little bit more of an idea of timelines as far as um, a female being spayed, how long until after she's recovered from the spay are her chances of pregnancy, the zero that we want. And then on the flip side of that males. So with the girls, you know, once they're done, they're done. Then, you know, there's no chance of getting pregnant. Your recovery times are going to be pretty quick. You know, you've got sort of probably a week to 10 days and they should be pretty much up and running. Shouldn't have any issues. With your boys, we do need to consider the fact that once the testicles have gone, there may still be sperm in the, in the pipe work. So you, you're not gonna have a complete stop. So if you've got, for example, an intact bitch in the house, he's probably still gonna give it a good go. It's gonna take a couple of weeks for those hormones to drop. And actually sperm can live for a long time hiding out in there. And we generally would suggest that they don't have contact with entire bitches for up to six weeks post castration. Again, their recovery time is pretty similar, about a week or so, as long as they sort of rest and take it easy and they should be good to go. So thankfully now, you know, the safety and the recovery times and things of these procedures are um, really pretty good. There's always risks with everything, but they are generally pretty safe surgeries now, obviously considering your individual dog and that's where chatting with your vets is going to be really handy but yeah we do need to be careful with the boys that once they're off they might still get somebody pregnant for a couple of weeks yeah okay so I just thought of one more question if you don't mind so um I know that there's a pretty traditional like standard way to spay and neuter can you just give the listeners a little bit more of like what are some of our other options? I mean, I guess as far as preventing pregnancy, like, are there different surgeries? Are there birth control for female dogs? So um, I can obviously only talk about the UK, but you'll probably find it's quite similar. So in the UK, it always used to be that that bitches had an ovarian hysterectomy. So ovaries and uterus removed. So you took them out before the ovaries and on the cervix, basically. There's actually now a little bit of a trend for um, or growing interest in ovariectomies. So leave the uterus where it is, just take the ovaries out. That's a much easier surgery um, because there's not as much blood supply. There's not as much actual tissue to have to deal with. And as long as you get all the ovaries out on its own, your womb can't do anything. It's very, very unlikely to develop uterine cancers and things because the vast majority of those are influenced by hormones. It's not impossible. You you know, you can get cancers anywhere. So it's in theory, you could get something, but it's very unlikely. So some people are um, erring towards ovariectomies because they are quicker, less invasive procedures that seem to have the same benefits. You still can't get pregnant because you still don't have any ovaries. With the boys, um, then we really look at castration. In the UK, we don't do vasectomies. I've never met, I don't think it's 
not allowed I've just never met a vet who will do it because you miss out on actually quite a lot of the health benefits so when we talk about the boys you know we worry about things like prostate cancer etc prostate disease then you're not going to get that benefit also they can still be mating the female so that's still not very practical for most people um and I think also it's that question of how do you know like we like how do you know they've been vasectomized if they've got testicles and you rehome that dog etc how's anyone going to know that they're not fertile so generally speaking with the boys just off um with bits and bobs but there is also the option of um chemical castration so there was an old-fashioned one called tardac which was a more regular injection don't generally use that anymore and if it is recommended to you the thing you have to be aware of is Tardac has another ingredient that can reduce aggression. Um, so sometimes people used to give Tardac and go, oh, their behavior's loads better, let's castrate them. It wasn't the drop in testosterone that caused that. There's something in the, in the drug that seems to do that. So that's not very common anymore. But what is increasingly common in the UK, particularly when we look at behavior and people kind of wanting to try things out, is Supralorin, which is an implant. It's a bit like being microchipped you put a little implant in that releases chemicals that basically cause a chemical castration. And there's different sizes, but they last between about six and 12 months. So there is that kind of try it and see option, which for some people, they really like that because they can just see what happens and kind of give it a go. Um, and I think that's better than castrating if you're, you know, if you're doing it for just a behavioral reason, if you just want to see what happens when the testosterone's down, that's good because it will come back. Um, but we still need to be thinking logically about when we use those. You know, is there actually any reason to suggest that they would be better if their testosterone was lower? Right. With pills, right. there's right. no licensed um, kind of contraceptives. You can, in the old school, we used to use some, some types of steroids and things to try and stop seasons, but it's not generally done. It's not licensed. It's probably not very appropriate. Right. Right. Okay. So that's really good to know. Right. And I think it's just nice to be an informed listener because I know all of you that are with us are, um, the top tier of dog guardians, right? Because you've spent your time listening to us talk about spaying and neutering your pets. So thank you so much, everyone for sticking with us. Um, Sophie, this was such an amazing conversation. Do you have any final thoughts for the people listening about spay and neuter? It's got to be a personal decision. You know, you need to think about your circumstances and your individual dog. And I think, you know, whatever you decide, don't worry about it too much. This one decision is probably not going to completely change everybody's life. You know, a lot of this is just about influencing risks and chances, etc. And, you know, like Rachel said, it's about allowing you to make an informed decision. If you do, if you have neutered your dog when they were really little, don't worry about it. And certainly don't let anyone make you feel guilty and responsible that you caused the problem if you're having one now, because there's no way you'd know that because your dog doesn't exist in an unmuted state. So, you know, don't worry about it. Just, you know, it's worth making an informed decision when you can. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, you know, before I had an intact dog, I had no idea about spay and neuter. Right. And that was one of those that like, I bro- thankfully I have a really great relationship with my breeder and she was helped me, help, helped me understand like some of the research and how it applies to his specific breed. But 
yeah, guys, you know, I think if this is a new concept, you have a dog who's neutered, this is good info for the future too, right? Because it's very likely you're going to have other dogs. And I think that this is good just so that, you know, we can make the best decision for us and for our pets. Okay. So Sophie, can you tell all of the listeners how they could connect with you? Sure. So, um, I'm on Instagram, um, veterinary underscore behavior underscore support and, um, a little bit on Facebook, but I'll be honest, my Facebook's really boring. <laughs> um, and then you can check out my website, which is veterinarybehaviorsupport.com. Amazing. And everyone will link those up in the show notes so that you can find them easily. Thank you so much. This was amazing. Thanks guys. Hey guys. So I do not take promoting a product lightly. I really don't. I'm not going to tell you about a product I don't really believe in. And I'm not going to tell you about a product that doesn't have a fabulous team behind the product. But I was out of CBD for probably like two weeks. And then the lovely ladies at VetCS got me another bottle and I didn't really think about it. But after I started giving the dog CBD again, Waylon's energy level greatly increased. I think that the CBD helps him feel so much better. So guys, this is not a gimmick. There is no bullshit. I believe in this product. And if you think that your dog could benefit from CBD, I highly suggest check out VetCS. You can learn more about CBD for dogs, cats, and horses at VetCS.com. And you can use code DisorderlyDogs for 10% off your first purchase. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you need help with your dog's behavior, you can learn more about our training services at agoodfeelingdogtraining.com. We post training inspiration and training tips almost daily over on the Instagram at agoodfeeling underscore NCO. If you like this podcast, we would be so grateful if you could share it with a friend or family member who could benefit from all of the information. Um, It's been a total delight. We love this podcast so much. And thank you so much for listening to Disorderly Dogs.